Hello, hello, welcome back to The Cutting Room, the movie show by All The Right Movies. My name is Luke, and with me are the Glimmer Twins, Matt and Westy. Hello. Hello. <laughs> We've got an absolute barnstormer of a show for you today. We can't wait for you to see, we really can't. It's really going to be something. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the film that made David Fincher, the film that shocked audiences in the 90s, it is Seven. A big one. Oh, yes. Huge. Before we do that, though, just to let everybody know that All The Right Movies is a YouTube channel, and what you're listening to now is the audio podcast version of the latest episode of our YouTube show, The Cutting Room. The original video version, along with many other episodes and videos, is available on YouTube, so please head over to our channel to watch and subscribe. We started out as a podcast, and you can access our full archive of over 120 podcast episodes on our website, alltherightmovies.com, or by signing up to become an All The Right Movies patron at patreon.com forward slash alltherightmovies. Patrons also gain access to many other benefits, including an exclusive video episode of The Cutting Room every month, chosen by and created specifically for our patrons. As you can see, there's loads from ATRM to keep you busy, but for now, it's back to the film. Matt, mm-hmm. why do you want to talk about Seven? Because, and I think I've said this about some other films, but it definitely applies to this one. It's one of those, if you want to know how good it is, just look at the amount of films that try to copy it afterwards. You know, yeah. the ball collector, kiss the girls, stuff like that. But not good oh, because... Batman. Yeah, Batman. <laughs> massive. Absolutely massive. Yeah. But not good because this film has a real backbone. I think Fincher's oh, vision, yeah. that script by Walker, takes the audience somewhere really dark, but bizarrely not in an off-putting way. And mm. at the time, I was unfortunately way too young to even attempt to say this is the cinema. But from mm. the concept, what I'd heard about it, I was dying to see it. So when I did, when I got in VHS, I was just knocked out by it completely. Incredibly suspenseful, brilliantly acted in a film I got obsessed about very very quickly even the sound design i want to talk about for this film it's that good you know yes that cop throwing the ball off the wall when they're talking to the widow just love stuff like that and they saw oh yeah yeah yeah. great yeah for a film that's so dark it it, it's weirdly beautiful at the same time there's so many frames of this film i would have hanging up around the house so it's art but it's also really thrilling love it very nice weird house as well <laughs> yeah <laughs> well, it goes out saying sloth like, yeah in the living room put <laughs> yeah. me in the kitchen like Leatherface's bedroom <laughs> uh, you don't know what I'm hanging up in the bedroom <laughs> leave it there yeah leave it that's too much even for us <laughs> well I became aware of this after my brother had seen it at the cinema and he came home raving about it and as soon as he came out of VHS I bought it and I was raving about it and I really haven't yeah. stopped since it started my love of Fincher films I really wasn't aware of his name even though I might have seen Alien 3 hmm, right uh, and I'm blown away like the screenplay is incredible and the performances, lightning in a bottle from a casting point of view, uh, or the majority of the cast putting in career highs here for me. So an all-timer. What about you, Westy? Yeah, exactly the same. And I saw this on VHS again, a bit too young to see it. Mm. Um, and it blew me away. I just remember thinking that I was taken into a world that I just did not want to go into and I didn't have a choice. And this is a film that has everything. And like you, you both said, and all, like Matt's touched on it, and even the sound design, but every single point of this film is perfection. Mm. And I used to say, I said it for a long time when me and Matt were in uni, when we're studying, and I always used to say to everybody, I think Seven is a perfect film Mm. all the way through. Every single element of it is utter perfection. And I think it's timeless. I'll never get sick of it. And I'm excited, really excited to talk about it. There's a lot to get into. Yes, indeed. Mm. Okay, well, let's do it. I want you to look and I want you to listen. ATRM has the upper hand as we delve deep into Seven. Fucking Dante. (laughs) 
<laughs> in an unidentified bleak city, detectives Somerset and Mills hunt an unknown and unseen killer intent on exacting his diabolical master plan on society. Led by Somerset's knowledge of the classics, the detectives are manipulated towards an ending that will change them forever. Written by Andrew Kevin Walker, directed by David Fincher, and produced by Arnold Corpelson and Phyllis Carlisle for New Line Cinema, Seven stars Morgan Freeman as Detective William Somerset, Brad Pitt as Detective David Mills, Kevin Spacey as John Doe, and Gwyneth Paltrow as Tracy Mills. We're getting into the key elements of Seven, looking at the direction, the script, the performances, and our favourite moments before we rate the film out of ten, and our investigation starts with the director. Mm. A watershed moment of filmmaking in the last 30 years, Seven was directed by David Fincher, who previously vowed never to direct again after the experience of working mm-hmm. on his debut feature, Alien 3, a disaster. Mm, yeah, He wasn't the first director that was approached. Initially, Jeremiah S. Chechik was attached to direct, and a really odd fit, considering he, he previously directed Benny in June and Odder still National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation, which, a classic, but not necessarily <laughs> yeah. in this genre, no, I don't think it would have been as no. good. <laughs> Merry Christmas! Shit, it was full! Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right slothing shit on the street. <laughs> Gluttony. You checked our shitters, honey? <laughs> and I did it! I checked our shitters! <laughs> Shitter was full! <laughs> Guillermo del Toro also turned down the job. He said that I'm a romantic fat bastard at heart and I don't subscribe to that view, which uh, seems strange, you know, considering his films. A little bit more fantastical, I would imagine, his take on it. Yeah. Yeah. Just an imp walking in at the end. (laughs) (laughs) Detector with eyes on its hands. New Line then went to Fincher. He was sent the screenplay and he loved it. However, there'd been a mix-up with which draft he'd been sent. The original ending had been changed at New Line's request to make it a little sunnier. And Fincher was supposed to be sent that version, but was sent the original instead, the what's in the box version. And he was told this yeah. by New Line, and he, which obviously means he wasn't interested, but supported by Brad Pitt, the ending stayed, and so did Fincher. So, Matt, would you like to go first? Mm. What do you think of David Fincher's work on Seven? He's got a point to prove, hasn't he? Yes. Because like yes, Alien indeed. 3, just complete disaster from beginning to end. So much studio interference. And I think this is him saying, you know what? Leave me alone. Yeah. And this is what I can deliver. Mm. And it's really exciting to see someone in just such complete control of his craft. Yeah. I know he's not going to push it too far. I know he's not going to pull his punches. He's just going to guide me perfectly through this material. And you can see that in the tone because you, you know, you describe the plot of this to someone who's never seen it. And it sounds horrendous. Yeah. It sounds yeah. like the bleakest, most nihilistic film you'll ever see, which it kind of is. Yeah. But it's so watchable. And honestly, I don't know how Fincher pulled that off. I think what helps is how much stuff he leaves for our imaginations. I mean, countless examples, but I'll just use the lust killing as an example because as you're watching the film, you think, well, how can someone be killed by lust? And then you get to this scene mm-hmm. and you see just the glimpse of the girl on the bed, there's blood, there's a guy, and let's just say there's something that doesn't look right about him mm-hmm. with the blanket mm-hmm. off him. So you're thinking, what's yeah. gone on? And then you cut to the interview with Leland Orsa, who's brilliant in this scene. Oh, he's great. He's amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the way he describes what happens, mm. you know, he put that thing on me. He made me wear it. He made me yeah. fuck her. He put a gun in my mouth. And I'm sure I'm not the only one, but first time around, I was so confused. Mm. Like, 
what has he done? What did he make yeah, him wear? Yeah. yeah. But it's when the photo gets thrown down. Because like, if you want an example of a shot that is perfectly timed, that shot of the photo on the desk is it because it's just enough time for you to go, is that, is that what a thing is? Yeah. Oh, God, it is. And then it cuts. Yeah. And yeah. I've made it. Seen... I've made it. You've, put, you've paused that on VH. Everyone's oh, no, paused that. Everyone's like, done that. I need to see what that is. <laughs> what is yeah. that? Oh, and no. You regret it immediately. <laughs> is, that, is that a golden mannequin? <laughs> Jesus <Yeah>. Christ. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's incredible because you've not seen any of the murder, but it's in your head all the same. So, yeah, this yeah, film, first frame to the last, masterful stuff. Mm-hmm. Talking about the tone, that is set straight away as well with that incredible title sequence. But this wasn't the original intention to open the film. It was supposed to be an opening scene with Somerset visiting a house upstate that he was going to buy after his retirement in seven days. And the title sequence is supposed to be his kind of train ride back into the city, back into the belly of the beast, as Fincher put it. Mm. They didn't have time to shoot that title sequence before test screenings. It was going to come later. So Fincher asked title designer Kyle Cooper to come up with a temporary title sequence. And Cooper knew that $20,000 had been spent on John Doe's notebooks. And he created a basic slideshow of the the pages from the books. Yeah, (laughs) bargain. The studio was reluctant to spend money on the train ride sequence. It's going to increase the budget, which had already gone up. And they liked the the idea of the temporary title sequence, so they suggested keeping Mm -hmm. it in. Yeah, yeah, it's amazing. I mean, how many directors have just been inspired from that title sequence? (laughs) Absolutely. Incredible. That's whole films based on that sequence, yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And I know Finch asked Kyle Cooper to, to elaborate on it. And in his words, show that somewhere across town, somebody was working on some really evil shit. The idea is that this is John Doe's job. He wakes up, makes his books, plans his murders, drinks his tea. And you totally get that feel yeah. that it's got such character in the mm-hmm. sequence. And that's the sequence we've got. Yeah. And Cooper also said they wanted the audience to be curious about what this guy is going to be because he has to be super super evil so what cooper did was he took razor blades and fish hooks and that's why he scratched the negative with yeah so effective right, yeah there's a flower on somerset's handkerchief right at the start of the film it's a bit of the wallpaper from the, the house he was going to retire that's in right, right. Yeah, yeah yeah he kind of he takes it from the, the house when he's viewing it very good yeah i just want to talk about the setting in the film uh, mm-hmm. mentioned at the top it's an unnamed city it kind of feels like new york a bit and is based on andy walker's time there but it was shot in la and the, the anonymity of the location is really important to me because it taps into John Doe's anonymity. We don't know why we're here. Why is it so bleak? Why is it raining? Yeah. Why is John Doe doing this? And, you know, We don't really get any satisfactory answers to any of those questions. And I really, really like that. It keeps you hanging. Mm. And it is always raining, which adds another layer of disillusionment. And the rain only stops when we get to the end scene. And by that, you may be thinking... Well, maybe things the weather's broken, you know, my you know, things are going to ease Happy a little bit. Coming. Happy ending, no yeah. way. Nope. But the city is just a, a character that you recognise, but it's really generic. Yeah. Same city that they shot Pulp Fiction in, in heat. Yeah. You know, <laughs> crazy. That, I mean, Big Lebowski. Yeah. LA does not look like that at all. <laughs> no, Gloomy. Part of that as well is that it's all largely set in close-up as well. There's no big wide shots of the city. The camera largely mm. focuses yeah. in tight on Somerset and Mills. We're following these guys. They are the story. And it only opens out when we get to that end sequence, when the whole thing gets revealed. Mm. The exteriors are mirrored by the interiors. For me, the sloth and John Doe apartments are really dark, disturbing, almost labyrinthine in the way they snake and twist around. And the sloth scene, Mm. I mean, disgusting, shocking. Great effects work from Rob Bortine as well on the the sloth victim. Disgusting. The main man. Yeah. Disgusting. (laughs) 
Sick. (laughs) (laughs) And John Doe's apartment is almost an impossible space. There's room after room is revealed and it seems endless and not really in keeping with the architecture of the apartment block. It's kind of reminiscent of The Shining for me because of that unusual space, rooms that shouldn't be there. And I think it, it kind of taps into the end in a taxi driver when Travis delves into that apartment of hell. I get a similar feeling here. Mm. What about you, Westy? I think it's his work here with the pace of the film. Oh, yeah. He doesn't get too overly excited and reveals too much too mm. quick. He's very, very clever with it. It's very, very considered. It's very much David Fincher inventing everything he's going to do post this film. Mm-hmm. And his use of, of moving camera specifically is so precise. And this film, for me, is his debut. Right. Mm-hmm. So you've got Alien 3, which you, you, he didn't really have control of. This is his debut. Yeah. If you look at this, and then if you look at Paul Thomas Anderson, Boogie Nights, mm. and if you put these side by side of how they move the camera, how they work with the actors, the confidence behind it, the tone, the pace, everything, it's mm. very, very similar yeah. in that mm. for me. And I'll take this over Boogie Nights any day of the week. So I think for me, as a, as a real debut film, the confidence and the pacing of this film is second to none. And the work that Darius Conji brings to it as well, to have that gutsy, ballsy direction from Fincher to just go make it dark make it as dark as you can mm-hmm. and I don't really care if people say oh that's just too dark for me." he says he knows the tone's dark he knows the pace is slow and he's taking it really really in his stride and for him to light the first murder scene with flashlights that are lit mm-hmm. by the actors yeah that's just incredible yeah that's, yeah, that's amazing yeah, the, the highlights are almost almost pushed over so it's that incredible contrast to the whole film I think there's nothing better than the the interrogation, well, say the interrogation scene, but when it does that incredible cut from Lust and you've got the music and get them out of here now. Yeah, yeah. It's quiet Silence, phones ringing. Yeah. And you've got that shot and they're both lit. Mm-hmm. And there's a guy in the foreground with the reels. It's dark and it's black, but then it's white. And it's, it's just, look at that all day. And I think that's probably one of the frames that Matt was saying earlier, if he was going to put anything on his wall, that would be one for me. Just yeah, that one shot. Right. I think yeah. it's incredible. Beautiful, yeah. Fincher and Conji's approach to the camera work was influenced by a TV show called Cops, which is uh, quite an unusual inspiration point, like the cameras are a bystander in the scene, peering over the shoulders in the backseat, listening in on the conversation. Yeah, not chips. Not chips, unfortunately. Right. Chips or cops. That's you know, right. Eric Estrada in there. It's the same thing. TJ Hooker. <laughs> chips. <laughs> <laughs> So a sophomore effort from Fincher, a huge achievement and an important moment in modern Hollywood. The screenplay for Seven was written by Andrew Kevin Walker. Completed the first draft while he was working at Tower Records in New York and it was a pretty miserable moment in his life by all accounts. He was trying to break into the industry and he was working a shitty job and basically just treading water trying to stay alive. He sent an unsolicited draft of Seven to screenwriter David Kep. He then followed this up with a called called to Kep, who in turn sent the script to his agent, who agreed to represent Andrew Kevin Walker. Kep also Good told Walker... Step. Yeah, yeah, why not? Yeah, one of my things. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Kep told, told Walker as well that he needed professional help. Kind of reminds me of Schrader and the Taxi Driver's screenplay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, a big screenplay, a big man. Westy, what do you think of AKW screenplay? <laughs> I think it's... Um... I think it's brilliant. I think the writing is really, really good. Yeah. And we say all the time on here that, you know, it's a, sometimes it's a work in progress. They get the idea and then the script develops as yeah. it goes. But I'm I think this that. was on the page. It watches like a detective novel. It reads like a detective mm. novel mm. if you've read the screenplay. 
Um, I think the fact that if you're reading this and it has that really brilliant kind of horror novel trope that keeps everything in the imagination and it's great for Fincher to move that onto the screen mm. and keep it in the viewer's imagination as it would be in the reader's. He's created a really, really good screenplay that's got, it's full of really interesting analogy and really interesting, you know, thoughts and on religion and purpose and why we're all here. And, you know, it's got all of them tropes in it, but it never gets pretentious with it. Mm, yeah. And I think what's really no, good is the comparisons right. between the characters without it being cliched you know you've got the quarterback like on paper this shouldn't really have worked but you've got the quarterback jock who's who's got the girlfriend who's got the wife they were yeah. childhood sweethearts you've got the guy who's going to retire he's got seven days left mm-hmm. he's a perfectionist he's brilliant at his job but he doesn't have a family oh he's miserable he's not the come together the kind of butt heads a little bit this should not be his first assignment oh come on i knew it this is not my first assignment you and then they end up resolving at the end and becoming kind of working together on it. And you just think, I've seen this a billion times, but yeah. you can watch seven and go, oh, shit, I've never seen that before. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, of course. And that's how good, yeah, that's how good the writing is. Agreed. Yeah, I'm always impressed by a script when you know that the writer's done like a shitload of research or you get that feeling and then knows a yeah. lot more about this subject than the majority of audiences would. I'm really invigorating when I get this sense from a screenplay. But that you learn a little bit more about exactly. it, like I yeah. know about yeah. Dante's Inferno now. <laughs> Being modest, Andrew Kevin Walker said that he basically did what the Mills character does in the film when he researched the script. He said he looked right. at Cliff's notes, books, cobbled together enough information to make it seem like he knew as much as Somerset did. Right. Nice of him to say. What was surprising to me, and kind of tapping on what you were saying, Westy, when re-watching it a few years ago, is that it follows really closely the buddy cop template from movies from the 80s. A world-weary cop who's close to retirement, he's got, a week to, he's got a week to go, and then a young whippersnapper comes in, and they don't get along, but slowly they come together over a common goal. It's basically yeah. lethal weapon, 48 mm. hours, that cop retiring, kind of like falling down, Robert Duvall in that. And it's even got the tooling up scene when they're getting their mics strapped, much like Commando yeah. or First Blood yeah. Part 2. Yeah, but yeah. it is so much more than that, which elevates it to a much higher level for me. There is, there's so much grandiosity in, in a lot of the dialogue, like that passage the Doctor has when he's um, when they're talking oh, about yeah. sloth yeah. in the hospital. Sloth, yeah. you'd, you'd die of shock right now if you were to die, uh, shine a light in his eye. He's experienced about as much pain and suffering as anyone I've encountered, give or take. And he still has hell to look forward to. Holy shit. Yeah, that's that yeah. guy. That's a one scene. That's a one for that guy. Yeah. Hit it and quit yeah. it. Incredible. Yeah. He gets Absolutely. that dialogue. Yeah. And it's so, yeah, it's so yeah. memorable. Mm-hmm. And it's yeah. just when he says, give or take, like, what has yeah. he seen? And that makes <laughs> yeah. it deeper. And then he turns yeah. around and says, good night. Yeah. As if you're supposed to sleep all right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> See you <laughs> later. That. Sleep well. See you later <laughs> on. Bye. <laughs> but on top of all of that, it's got some really humorous moments, especially considering how bleak the film is. But it's yeah. not its not like goofy humor, which would have changed the tone completely. It's blackly funny. And a lot of that comes from the delivery of the actors, but it takes a very talented writer to get laughs from a film like this and for them to not feel out of place. Like yeah. when the guy lifts gluttony out of the bowl of spaghetti, he says, he's dead. In less subtle hands, yeah. Somerset's response could be something like, yeah, yeah, no shit, Sherlock, or something like that. Yeah, yeah. But Somerset's yeah. response, thank you, Doctor really subtle, drier than the desert, yeah. and really, really yeah. funny. And there are others, like that beautiful moment in the Mills apartment when Somerset asks for wine, and he gives him a half pint of it, and it's not acknowledged <laughs> until the train rumbles past. Such yeah. a great timing. So it's up there with Chinatown for me. I think it's a really excellent script. Yeah. What about you, Matt? 
yeah, agreed. I think the writing's why so many of these films that I mentioned that followed in Seven's wake weren't as good because the writing was never as good. I mean, mm. for start, the conceit of this film, just brilliant in its simplicity. Someone's murdering people according to the Seven Deadly Sins. What a great yeah. idea. Yeah. And that central idea was such a hook because in first viewing, you wonder, well, how are these murders going to play out? How do you kill someone with sloth? Mm. How do you kill someone by pride? What's that going to look like? Yeah. So mm. the writing, it just drags you in immediately. And I love how John Doe's plot plays itself out, how the Fort O in the greed murder scene, that has a clue that leads you to the sloth scene. Because mm. that's one of my favorite scenes in the film where Somerset dusts the wall behind the picture. Oh, yeah. to, oh, yes. Call the print lab. Because oh, yeah. then you get that cut to the big airbrush, that big neon blue close-up, mm -hmm. and that massive sound of the air hissing out. Yeah. And, and just the delivery of Mel goes, honestly, if you ever seen anything yeah. like this you're like holy oh, shit oh, what because oh. you haven't seen it yet yeah yeah i think the writing of the plot is brilliant but i will i do have to add a caveat which i think on repeat viewings i think you can pick more and more holes with john doe's plot because Ooh. it yeah. actually doesn't make much sense because the whole thing ends up revolving around mills and how on earth does no know that mills is going to arrive in the city in the first place he can't know that. And so much of his plan has been set in place before he even knows of Mill's existence. The fact he's been torturing Victor for a whole year and they discover him on that anniversary. That timing is incredibly precise. Yeah. And it doesn't yeah. hold up the more you think about yeah. it. You know, but Mills does say that you, you didn't, you don't know that. Like you don't know yeah. that that yeah, was the does, case. Yeah. It could have just been convenience. And he does come on the stairs at that point mm. and start taking photos of them and sees how angry Mills is that he could yeah. become wrath. And he probably thought, oh, my wrath was a bit crap. This will mm. be better. And then he rings <laughs> him up and tells him. Jack <laughs> could just see John Doe's in, in his apartment, like in his grandma's panties or something. And he said, oh, my wrath's Guns a bit and crap. And there's Mills. <laughs> I'll do this one, yeah. Yeah. I, I just think Doe's like too precise for that. And like, you know, yeah. what if Mills was a bachelor? What if he didn't have somebody he loved? I think it's actually testament yeah. to how good the film is that there are these big logic holes in Doe's plan. That to me, actually, care. I don't care. Mm, and yeah. it took me, I mean, I don't know how many viewers, but before I did sort of think, hang on, it's all very convenient a lot of the time. And that's yeah, going yeah. on here. And on, how does he on. know that? And, yeah. You know, whatever. How does, he get, how does he get the taxi at the end? And how does he pay for it? He's covered in blood and his hands yeah. are covered in yeah. blood. And he's yeah. never going to get a taxi no. and they're not going to drive him to the police station. Yeah, exactly. Willingly. They're not going to like, yeah. take the hospital instead. So, yeah. yeah, but it's stuff like that. I don't care because it's so well written and it's so engaging. It just, mm. you know, doesn't make much sense. But honestly, I just don't care. It doesn't matter. Yeah. yeah it doesn't matter. Yeah, mm. I think it's smoothed over a little bit because he says, um, in, ch in light of today's circumstances or whatever, mm. when he's on the phone yeah. to Mills in his apartment, I've changed my plans. So that's when he switches or when he pulls the gun away from Mills in the alleyway. Then I think that he changes his yeah. mind and he he's now gone part mm. of the plan. But yeah, timing. Everything's very, very convenient. Yeah. But, yeah, you know, but it's still, fine. that aside, yeah. AKW, one of the best screenplays of the 90s of any decade. Oh, yeah, easily. easily. Featuring four future Oscar winners, the cast of seven are all at the top of their game. We're talking about the three main cast members here, and I wanted to start by talking about the main man himself, Morgan Freeman, who stars as oh, Detective yes. William Somerset. The big man, mm -hmm. the best man. Mm -hmm. Somerset. Incredible really wears his experiences heavy on his shoulders, unwavering in his weariness about the state of the world, the state of the city, state of his life. He's a total pessimist. And, he, he you yeah. know, he's right. It's filthy out there. Yeah, yeah. Um, great I like, Yeah. 
a great hat. He, he said that yeah. if you see uh, the hat is a mark of a man. If you see a man in a hat, you know everything about his personality. That's what Freeman there you said. Go. Loves it. Well, <laughs> I like that we find out a little bit about Somerset's past, but not too much. We find out that he went close to marriage once, but it just didn't work out. We find out later that he, he and his partner got pregnant and he gradually wore down for the abortion. There's that devastating line from Freeman when Tracy asks Somerset how long he's lived in the city. And he just takes a slight pause and he replies, Too long. And yeah. it's all in the delivery from Freeman. It's a thousand words said in just two and the reactions from Tracy and Mills as well. Tell, speak volumes. They know they're in a shithole. They know they've made the wrong decision. And he yeah. sleeps next to a metronome to distract him, something to focus on instead of the horrors in the world. Incredible character nuance. He's the driving force in the film. The opposite side of the coin to John Doe, really, despite John Doe's heinous crimes. There is something in his methodology and precision that I think Somerset admires. Yeah. And what's motivating John Doe is motivating Somerset. So for Somerset, Andrew Kevin Walker saw actor William Hurt, which I think would have been interesting. Um, Al Pacino... <laughs> don't waste my motherfucking time fucking time yeah it'd be absolutely brilliant to stay walking through the library i'll never get it <laughs> oh, well the knowledge at your finger to me, all these books <laughs> <laughs> fuck your culture who's the plot here she got out Greatest! And then Gene Hackman as well was also Excellent. considered. Mm. Yeah. It would have just been compared too much to the French Connection, I think. Yeah, it would have yeah. Been. yeah, it would have. I mean, you know, I like a lot of those guys there, but, you know, Freeman, can't go, can't go wrong. Because no. no. he's such a great yeah. character. It's, it's a joy to see him in fits of laughter when the train goes by in Mills' apartment. Yeah. Yeah. Well, my favourite scene is him in the diner with Tracy. It's oh. got to be in there to... Have the end and hit hard yeah, and tip mills all right yeah. over the edge. Once John Doe says the baby thing right at the end, party's over. Somerset knows it. But in this scene, it's Freeman's delivery and Paltrow's devastating reaction when he says, You spoil that child every chance you get, and she just crumbles. Yeah. Whoa. Scene stealing performance from Paltrow, who I think does really a lot a, a lot in the film with her limited time. You spoil that kid every chance you get. So, Westy. Yes. Who are you talking about? I'm talking about the inept detective. <laughs> <laughs> played, and I'll say it played beautifully by Brad Pitt. This is on the back of what Legends of the Fall. Mm. You know, he was a big poster boy. He didn't like that. People didn't take him seriously as an actor. He's, he's bringing part of himself into the role as like, you know, all that you're good for is your looks. You, ha you haven't got what it takes to make it through this city. You haven't got what it takes. You haven't got the intelligence to forge a career. And I think that that's kind of reminiscent of Pitt as a person and his character of Mills. And I think he plays it really well. He understands the assignment really well. Mm -hmm. And I don't think he's scared to be a little bit goofy. Mm. And a little bit over the top. I mean, the, the delivery when he's like, I thought I could do some good. Look, yeah, it's just, yeah. oh. every time I'm like, you know, he's like, kick each other in the balls. Yeah. And as soon as he says balls, he laughs he, to himself. He's like, that immature. He's like, it's your show. The detective was like, yeah. And then these other lines where he says, you know, my badge says, detective, it's the same as yours. Yeah, yeah. You've seen the things I've done. Yeah, yeah. not and here. It goes from, the, yeah, I understand that. And he's just mm -hmm. like trying to talk. But then when he's in the bar, and he starts talking, he's like, I do not believe it. I cannot believe it. I want to believe in a better place. I don't want to yeah, believe yeah, what yeah, you yeah. believe. He's, he's really convincing on that, but he just puts the money on the bar and just walks out and you just think, 
right? You know, he's learning, he's going somewhere. We're trying to get to grips with who this character is. Mm-hmm. And he knows that that ending's coming at that point. And I think Pitt is really playing with the audience, kind of pulling you into his life. Yeah. His wardrobe is amazing. The way he just doesn't <laughs> yeah. bother doing his hair and he just kind of pushes it yeah. forward. And he's just that laziness to him and his ties have just got shit like footballs Football. on them or baseballs yeah, yeah, on yeah. them. He likes sports. <laughs> just, yeah. And he's got that terrible jacket when he's in the police station and he gets yeah. that bit of Merchant of Venice news, tries to write it down. He's like, <laughs> Merchant of Venice. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah, yeah. 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 I'll, I'll refer back to Venice? that later. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but like you said, there in the apartment when, when the, the train goes past, it just shows how inept he is as a detective. Mm. He can't even find a, a safe place to live. <laughs> Yeah, a place that's peaceful just to reflect on um, and Pitt knows that and he nails it and I think it's a really really strong performance from both the leads yeah I agree yeah I love Pitt and nothing you mentioned there about the apartment it, isn't it brilliant how it's only when they get there they realise they don't know each other's first names oh yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. like yeah, such dickheads to each other they've not been <laughs> yeah. like what's your first name because oh, Pitt but, Mills says Tracy Somerset it's Trace Tracy Somerset but you know who turned it down Denzel Washington did because he thought it was too dark and evil but he has since said uh, that's what he really regrets doing bizarrely Sly Stallone was in the running as well and he turned it down which can you imagine (laughs) like that ending Stallone trying to sell that Uh, (laughs) there's one man dead it's not my fault (laughs) (laughs) what happened to his legs (laughs) I can't find the legs (laughs) (laughs) we're all going to hell what did you say (laughs) yeah still on a Pacino that's a combo I would be to see (laughs) oh Oh, very very good. good very good very good Mm. Okay, so final cast member, Matt, you've gone for a man who is methodical, exacting, and worst of all, patient, much like yourself. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yes, but they are the only qualities we do share. That's it, yeah, that's where the similarity starts and ends. (laughs) Not like you're printing out half his murders and put them on your wall. (laughs) (laughs) Well, well, um, I'm going to talk about John Doe, the disgusting perverted individual mm-hmm. played really convincingly by kevin spacey of all people <laughs> wow wow uh, how did yeah. he do it well, you know <laughs> exactly and as ever you know we're talking about the rt not the artist absolutely this performance alone. so performance yeah. alone because yeah. it is a great performance it is because the thing is as well john doe is being built up so well mm. by the film before you meet him he's smarter than all the cops completely deranged they set it so high that you do think th- there's no performance that's going to be able to sell this unless mm. Anthony Hopkins turns up as Lecter. Yeah, <laughs> that's what you're expecting, isn't yeah, it? It is what you're expecting. But mm. the best thing about Spacey's performance is that he is as good and as terrifying as whatever the picture is in your head of John Doe. I don't know, bizarrely, Michael Stipe was in the frame at one point. Which That's crazy. <laughs> that's that crazy. crazy. I mean, to look at him, I guess he has the look, but, yeah. you know... No yeah. acting shots. Oh, well, he's got the look of John Doe. He's got the look of Kevin Spacey, but that's about yeah. it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. And also, Ollie Ermey was considered. I think he would have been good. I think he would have brought more for like a like a kind of Southern Baptist preacher kind oh. of vibe to it. Oh yeah, very yeah. nice. That's not even my desk. 
you know, he's worth a fat line loan, isn't he? Yeah, um, he is. But it's still such a shock when Doe turns up and it's Spacey because one thing Spacey did was he suggested that don't list my name in the credits. That will add to the mystery, which I know the studio wasn't happy about because obviously he, he's just come off the back of usual suspects. So they wanted to cash in on him, yeah. but he did get his wish. And that's why he's not the opening credits. And if you go back and if you look at the trailers or any of the promotional material at the time, his image, his name isn't in any of it. And the thing is about Spacey, he's not a physically intimidating guy, but I do think maybe the scary scene in the film is when he gives himself up because you're just not expecting it. He's got two murders to go. What's he doing giving himself up? You're looking for me. It leads to one of the best stretches in the film, which I think is that drive out to the desert, because even though he's in handcuffs and he's in the back of the police car and they've got helicopters following them, he's still in complete control. He's got that slight smirk on his face because he knows what's coming. Yeah. And I just think that back and forth between the three of them is incredible because he can see oh, yeah. all of Mills's cockiness just slowly fade away because everything he throws at John Doe, every insult, nothing lands. You're no messiah. You're a you're a movie of the week. You're a fucking t-shirt at best. And Door mm-hmm. is just sat there, oh, just just, just wait. Yeah, bounces off him. Can't wait for you to see it. I really can't. He says about you know the life that I allow you to have. Oh, you're like Jesus yeah. Christ. Yeah. What has he got coming? And he's so secure because the key thing is he's really unsettling Somerset as well. You can see Somerset is sat there. You going, definitely can. Nah, this isn't right. We've not got him. I mean, we've got him, but we've not got him at the same time. Yeah. And I think Spacey just puts across that complete insanity so well without hamming it up. I think it's a it's a terrifying performance. Yes. When he's dipping that tea bag, he's absolutely methodical. Oh, exactly. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. All great. An incredible cast. Special mention also to, as you mentioned, Matt Ali Ermi. Gwyneth Paltrow, John C. McKinley, yes. big fan, and Richard Roundtree, yeah. massive. And, you know, small performances, but great performances all around, I think. Good cast. Yeah, really mm-hmm. good. Mm-hmm. This has been one of the toughest films to pick three highlights from with the film, like with yeah. 10 incredible moments over that. Matt, you're going to go first, though. Your mm. highlight for seven is... Gluttony. Oof. I'm going with gluttony because yeah. God. everything you need to know about this film gets set up in this scene. Mm-hmm. You know, right from the start, that cop, I love that cop at the beginning at the scene where he's like, this guy's been sitting in a pile of his own piss and shit. If he wasn't dead, he would have stood up by now. You're like, fucking <laughs> yeah. hell. Right. Jesus, well, that's, where yeah. Yeah, this, yeah, yeah. that's where we Thank are. Yeah, that's where we are. This is how cynical they are by, <laughs> yeah, yeah. about it as well. So you're already preparing yourself for something grim, but it's a perfect example of how Fincher handles the grimness because you see just enough. Yeah. It's dark, but you can still make out how decrepit, how filthy everything is. Like Wesley says, just through their torches, which is an amazing yeah. touch. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've not mentioned him yet, but Howard Shaw and his score here is incredible. It's really mm-hmm. ominous, but not OTT. Mm-hmm. And I just love how controlled that camera work is. Just moving slowly enough, holding on shots, prowling through this apartment. Oh, and it yeah. just builds up to that slow pushing on the victim. Because that makeup work is outstanding. Like those yeah. big rolls of fat and the big blue veins. Ooh, and there's this boy. real sense that you're discovering everything at the same time that Mills and Somerset are. So when they see his hands are bound for the first time, so you know, he didn't just have a heart attack. This has been planned. It's amazing. It, it, but, but one of the most nauseating touches is the amount of cockroaches crawling uh, all over the place. I know they use seven uh, yeah. crates, poured them all over the set, poured them all over Bob Mack, who's the guy who plays gluttony mm. and you've got to give credit to mac because oh yeah 
He went through hell in this scene that stuffed up his ears, that stuffed up his nose so the cockroaches wouldn't crawl in. But they still found a way in his underpants, which is probably <laughs> just as bad, maybe worse, if not worse. worse. Yeah. worse yeah. yeah. And as well as that, he's got to be face down in that spaghetti, which he had a tube so he could breathe through it. But they didn't just like open the tin on the day that spaghetti had been there in a bowl for a week before filming started <laughs> just, just for like, authenticity get your not face thinking in that. about him just because <laughs> yeah. fincher does that he wants he, he needs yeah. it to to be as it should be couldn't give a fuck yeah, about yeah. The, the authenticity yeah 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 yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. just stick your face in that mate and i know as well that with the cockroaches who vaseline was stuffed into the cracks in the walls and the floor mm. so that the cockroaches yeah. wouldn't find a way out of the set and it was covered <laughs> in plastic wrapping for exactly the same reason. And a new line executive came down to the set to see what the money was being spent on, and hopefully it was going to be spent in the right places. <laughs> so she took one look at the set and was like, well, this all seems fine. See you later. <laughs> Just left. <laughs> Slipping on Vaseline. Yeah. Horrible. Right, I'll see you later. Cockroaches everywhere. Yeah. I mean, it's an amazing set. The set design throughout the film, yeah. it's incredible. Yeah. For me, it's that chase sequence that puts you right in the middle of the film Ooh, when Mills is actually oh, yes. doing mm. what he really loves to do and what he wants to do, leaves Somerset on the back foot. But it's that moment where they just see him silhouetted in the in the hallways, carrying that bag. And a really great touch as well from Fincher is that they could have had him played by any other actor to mm. throw you off the scent that it is actually Spacey. Yeah. Mm. So like, is that him? And But it, it is Spacey playing it mm. all the way yeah. through. Even the photographer on the stairs, you can tell it's him. Yeah. You know, that I, I fucking got your yeah, picture. Like, you know it's the, the same guy. Yeah. I got your picture, oh, yeah? Detective Mills. M-I-L-L-S. Fuck off. The pace of this chase sequence is incredible. And it's what you don't see. And it's the reactions of the families and the kids in the room and there's point at the window and it's just yeah. the curtains are blown. Yeah. You're just thinking, is he just outside? Yeah, is how far has he got? And when Doe actually gets hit, but he's hobbling through the, the car park yeah. and that run that he does and that kind of hobble, it's like a, almost a heart battle of Dirty Harry, like I said before. You know, when he gets shot and he just tries to get away. It's oh, got yes. all that kind of, all these elements kind of brought into it and it's so dark and it's so edgy. Well, how many films have you seen where there's a chase sequence in the middle and it goes up and then it goes, ugh. But mm. this, you find out yeah. so much more because mm. it opens the door to his apartment. Yeah. But one of the most ridiculous things as well is when, you know, when they're running over the car bonnets, which is quite similar to, to Blade Runner even, uh-huh. and there's that brilliant Blade Runner shot where Mills swings off the fire escape oh, and he's holding onto the ladder. That's incredible, isn't and it? And the rain's coming yeah. down. He's like, ah, oh, Blade Runner as well. Throw that in there. This mm-hmm. is going to cheer Wesley up. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> Put this one in there for Westie. <laughs> yeah. Uh, me and Dave really close. But, um... <laughs> There's that great moment where Pitt's running over the cars, but in one of the takes, he slipped and went through the back windscreen of one of the cars, arse first, Mm. which you think, oh, right, so everyone kind of froze, but he's wearing a wetsuit, which took most of the hit, Mm. so everyone thought he was fine, but he went to get out of the car and sliced his three fingers right down to the bone, so he sliced the tendon through on three fingers and just showed it, walked over to David Fincher and showed him it, and Fincher apparently just went green and walked off. (laughs) After everything that he's creating for this film, (laughs) that made him turn green. I still find that absolutely hilarious. But yeah, and then it was written into the script. You know, that's why he's got that big bandage on for the rest of the film. It actually makes sense. You know, he's got a vulnerability now because his physicality was all he had. And that, that woman getting interviewed, just like how Pitt solves the problem. <laughs> yeah, there was uh, when those murders were happening, there's guys going out, right? And uh, one of those murders, uh, yeah, it happened right over there, right over there. Right over there. Like, yeah, 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 right. So I called the detective because this guy was looking all creepy and shit. <laughs> <laughs> 
she is fucking excellent yeah. and that's exactly what you need after that chase sequence when just like let's put some humor in there let's <laughs> let's put mills down again yeah and make the audience laugh you, you get something to eat is again it's like you eat you eat right you just sign there honey <laughs> okay, i'm going to talk about the shock finale what's in the box oh of course you are yes yes indeed dramatic as hell caught people completely off guard although we really shouldn't be surprised because it's already been signposted that things are going to go south yeah, yeah. somerset lays it out in that bar scene with mills this is not going to have a happy ending he, yeah. he is not wrong he's not no. wrong somerset's known all along he warns mills in the scene when they're shaving their chests if john Doe's head splits open and a ufo falls out i want you to have expected it yeah and then on this final scene as well when they shot the helicopter sequences um, it was brown and yellow, which didn't contrast well to when the, the originally shot the guys on the ground, which was lush green. And I think Fincher right. was trying to bring some like a serene environment with this hell in the middle of it, which would have worked mm-hmm. really well. But the helicopter shots didn't match that to digitally color correct the shots of the guys on the ground because it was just stand-ins on the on the the aerial shots. But he wanted everything right. to match. Mm-hmm. And I think it was All easier right, okay. to make it brown than it was to make it green. Yeah, the whole thing. I mean, it's an incredible scene. It's like Hall of Fame stuff. Yeah, yeah. And I'm not going to go over the scene in detail because it's been talked about to death, but there are just two moments or two things that I want to pull from the, the scene itself. Mm-hmm. As I said earlier, it's got all the hallmarks of that buddy cop film, slightly different tone, obviously, but it subverts the tropes all over the place in this scene. Throughout the film, we get those scenes of Somerset throwing his knife into the dartboard. Yeah. Suggesting he's a crack shot. Yeah. In any other film, the knife would come out in the third act to save the day. You know, see, we've been showing you skills all along, yeah. but not here. Not here. He uses it to open the box in this scene, and that's it. It's blurred. <laughs> Brilliant. I love when you do that. <laughs> <laughs> and the same goes with his gun as well. Earlier, Mills asked him if he's ever shot his gun. He says he only took it out three times with the intention of using it, never pulled the trigger. Al Powell in Die Hard. I yeah. shot a kid. Yeah. It was an accident. Yeah. He had a ray gun. <laughs> It yeah, look, it looked look real enough. enough. Yeah. <laughs> Mills eating Twinkies. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Thought you guys just ate donuts. <laughs> but obviously, Al Powell uses it to take Carl down at the end, of course, because that's how these things go. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But again, not here. Somerset unholsters his gun, shoots it, but only to pull the driver over. Same as the knife. It's been set up, but we don't get what we expect. So what... That means it's all better off. Anything can happen, and it does. Yeah. And the other point I want to make is regarding the camera work when Somerset is running back to Mills after he's Mills and Doe after he's opened the, the box. The camera's shaky when it's focused on him, and then when it gets over to Mills, the same thing. The two of them have completely lost control of the situation, and that's reflected in the camera. But look at the shots of Doe. The camera's mounted and static. John Doe's calm, and he holds all the power in the scene. John Doe has the upper hand, and yeah. that is magnificent visual storytelling from Fincher for me. Again, exact and methodical, measured, perfect. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of the shots are like an upshot of Doe, suggesting he's like this all-powerful presence. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Incredible ending. And I know Fincher originally wanted to cut to black for 10 seconds before he rolled the credits originally, which, you know... (laughs) Only ten <laughs> seconds. <laughs> More like like sixty minutes were just screaming in the background. But um yeah. like, unsurprisingly as well, the studio had a really cold feet about the ending. And one suggestion was the truck yeah. arrives at the scene 
with the TV showing Tracy in peril so they dash off to save her instead. But this is where Brad Pitt deserves credit because he really dug his heels in and he was adamant there's no way that Mills isn't shooting door. Nah, fuck that! That TV coming in, it sounds like Point Break. It does. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, producer Arnold Corpelson gave in to Fincher after he was told that you wouldn't see Tracy's actual head in the box. It's really subliminal because a lot of people think that is what you see because of the impact on the yeah. scene. But all you see is that single frame of Tracy's yeah. face. Great editing. Yeah. yeah, it's fantastic. That's his motivation to shoot him. And that Hemingway bit at the end was pushed by the studio instead of just cutting to black when he shoots right. him. Yeah. To end on a more positive note, a compromise. Fincher didn't really like. He said it was like bronze and a dead lily. Compromise from Fincher, but I think he won at the end. Yeah, yeah I think so. During filming, Fincher told the cast of Seven that the film probably wouldn't be the one that they'd be remembered for, but one they might be the proudest yeah. of. Yeah. I agree with the second part. <laughs> Lovely. <laughs> oh, okay. So to close on Seven, we've got a question from one of our patrons on this scene. Okay. That's one of the many benefits of becoming an ATRM Patreon supporter. You can ask us questions for the film that we're covering. And this one comes from Jamie Goodson. Go for it, Jamie. Hi, guys. Just wondering if you think the whole what's in the box ending has the same impact now as it did have 25 years ago. Cheers. Great question, Jamie. Thank you very much. If you notice, Jamie was a little downbeat there. He said that he'd been struck down with COVID at the time of recording, so we're wishing you a speedy recovery, yeah. Jamie. Oh, yeah, okay. I thought he just watched seven at the same amount of times that we have. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, that's perfect. Perfect question. Perfect delivery for seven, that. <laughs> Wes, do you want to go first with Jamie's question? Yeah, I mean, does it have the same impact? Um, I honestly believe that it does. So I work with mm. people who are far younger than me who unbelievably haven't seen or heard of the film, which I find baffling. Well, that's, really, that's, a good point. Of, that's one of the seven deadly sins for sure. Well, yeah, I mean, they're dead now. They watched it and then I just killed them. <laughs> 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 that's the eighth sin, not actually seeing seven. Um, I almost didn't notice it had happened, but I suddenly threw up all over him. He was not pleased. But no, I'll, I'll loan them the DVD um, okay. each. And I said, you know, don't tell this one about it. You watch it. And they were 21, 22, respectively. Um, blown away by it. Mm. Do I like, oh, but the, the all they did was compare it to what had come after. Do I like, oh, it was really true detective that. Mm. Oh, it was really saw yeah. that. To answer the question, it does. It does with me. And it does to people, you know, half my age. So yeah. the proof is in the pudding, really. I didn't think it would. I thought they would have come back and just went, oh, I've seen all up before. They just went, oh, wow, yeah. You know, like watching a blueprint. Um, yeah. And the, yeah, they loved it. So yes, in my experience and my opinion, it does have the same impact. Yeah. Matt, what about you? Mm. Jamie's question. Yeah, it's a great question because you could ask it of a lot of films, couldn't you, Psycho, Sixth Sense, Usual Suspect. Sure. I would say for this yeah. one, I don't think it will ever have the same impact as first viewing, but... If it's lessened, it's not lessened by much. And I think that's because it's still the emotional surprise rather than the narrative surprise, if you know what I mean. It's not a twist ending that makes you reevaluate yeah. everything you've seen. What I think it is, though, it's just really cleverly written in terms of Tracy, like, like Wesley just mentioned there, because she's only got three scenes, but she hangs over mm -hmm. this film. And the fact that Very she much. tells someone that she's pregnant means that whenever Mills brings up later and she gets brought up a lot, your reaction is, and it's a really clever distraction because you go, oh God, Somerset knows about the baby Mills doesn't. And you think that's <laughs> yeah, going to yeah. be the scene between them. It's a really clever yeah. distraction mm -hmm. because if she hadn't told Somerset, I honestly think you'd be thinking, hang on, she's getting mentioned an awful lot here. You know, my wife doesn't yeah. have cable. Mm -hmm. 
why bring that up? You yeah, know. yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, and Somerset as well t- tells Tracy it to her face not to tell David. Yeah, like if she decides to get rid of it, so you know that yeah. it's it's a it's a lit fuse. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, so it's a total distraction for the yeah. audience. Yeah. And that's why the ending mm-hmm. works so well. So like say, I don't yeah, think it'll ever have quite the same impact as that very first few ones, but honestly it's like maybe still got like ninety eight percent of the, the impact all these years later. I think it could be released today as a new mm-hmm. film. Very similar to what you said, Westy, about the twenty one year olds that you're hanging around with who uh, were watching. Working it. with. Working <laughs> with. <laughs> Christ, I have to talk to people. I'd love not to, but really? I have to. I have to. Yeah. Excuse me, can you do that? Yes, no problem. Have you seen seven? No. Get out. Stuff like that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All the classic Westy yeah. beats there. Yeah, there is. <laughs> and that resolution, I really can't think of a better one since in film. There may be others, but just off the top of my head, I can't think of a better ending than seven since seven. Okay, so three great scenes from one of the most memorable films of the 90s. Of course. Any decade. Yes. The big verdict, I'm expecting high scores here, fellas, and, and here comes mine first, actually. <laughs> Straight <in. laughs> Yeah, let's do it. I'm expecting big things, fellas, but I'll, you can wait. <laughs> <laughs> Does it better be the same as mine? <laughs> I'm setting the bar here, that's all right. Yeah, I'll set the bar. <laughs> Typical all right, John Doe. Okay. <laughs> it is a profound film for me. It grabs you like no other and doesn't let go for two hours. It's sitting at the top table of films from the decade, and I've said all that I want to say, really, so I'm not going to repeat myself. It no. is a 10, no doubt about it. Short and sweet. Boom, boom, boom. Nice. What about you, Westy? I mean, yeah, it's one of the most technically perfect films that I've seen yeah. ever. And I'll stand by that. And I don't really yeah. think it's going to be bettered, especially, and it is a debut. I'm going to say as a debut from a director who was given <laughs> free reign to do what he wants to do. And this is what he does. He has a point to prove. And it's fantastic. And I love it. I think all the performances are great. You get more from it each time you watch it. Like Matt said at the top, it's grim, but it's very rewarding as a cinematic very experience. Great. I would watch this on the big screen at any point if it came back. I'll watch it at home at any point when the kids are asleep or when they're not in the room. But as soon as they're old enough, they're watching it. And I'm going to say, you know, this is cinema. This is this party is party time at West. <laughs> That's honestly that is party time. Um, <laughs> but I'll just be, you know, it, it's it's just it's just brilliant. I'm not going to nitpick it because it's too perfectly done and too mm. enjoyable an experience not to give a full marks. So it's got to be a ten. Ten, yeah, of course it is. Of course it is, Matt. It's over to you. Don't let the side down. Ooh, like I would. <laughs> it's all on like you. I've done before. <laughs> <laughs> no, very simple, very easy, very much in agreement. That good punch of an ending, oh. it sticks to the coat of its convictions. It, it's hypnotic, this film. You can't take your eyes off it. You know, it, it's just impossible to start watching this and then think, I'll, I'll just pause it. I'll come back to it tomorrow. Yeah. You can't mm. do it. Yeah. Um, and even on repeat viewings where you know where it's going, it's still, and it sounds wrong to describe it this way, but it's still unbelievably satisfying. I love the performances. Yeah. I love how it looks. I love how it sounds from day one. This was in my list of favourites, like a bullet, and it still is. So mm-hmm. the film seven out of three, there's your score, ten. <laughs> All right. Yeah. <laughs> Complex. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, not really. It's well, basic. Maths, I would hope yeah. not. But... <laughs> really, really basic, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it's just a weird way of doing yeah, it. Yeah. But ten is the outcome nonetheless. Yeah. So that gives seven a score of 30 out of 30. The big one. Mm-hmm. Yep. Perfect score. Perfect, perfect film. Is. Yeah, of course. Mm-hmm. 
If you enjoyed the show, please like the video, subscribe to our YouTube account, and share with everyone who loves movies. Leave yes, us some do. comments in the comments section. Let us know what you think. Is this your favorite Fincher film? You know, anything like that. Not me, obviously, but that's a conversation for another time. <laughs> I wonder what it is. If only there was a big <laughs> clue somewhere. <laughs> mm. I gave it away. Yeah, yeah. Me, I don't know. It could be anything. Yeah. It could be anything. Benjamin Button, that was probably, the most, isn't it? Yeah, I think so. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, probably. Yeah. yeah. Dragon Tattoo, I think. <laughs> and to support us, you could become an All the Right Movies Patreon supporter, gain access to bonus videos hundreds of hours of exclusive podcasts that really helps us out as well it means that we can continue to make these videos and devote more of our time to them as well so anything you can if you could we'd love it yes we would thank you so much guys and talking about podcasts we have recorded over 120 over the last few years that's how all the right movies started they're available to our patreon supporters of course but you can also buy them individually on our website all the right movies.com We've covered all the classic and hit movies from Hollywood, Lords on offer, and they are exhaustive works. Endlessly researched, stuff full of behind-the-scenes facts and trivia. Mm-hmm. A lot of them tip over the two-hour mark on classics like, you know, Star Wars, Raiders, Fargo, Point Break even, yeah. The Godfather, Scream, The Matrix, Lords more. Mm-hmm. Even Seven, which we recorded a few years ago. So if yeah. you want to compare and contrast this analysis of the film to our podcast, you know what to do. It's allrightmovies.com or become an ATRM patron. And that is a wrap, everyone. I think that is a definitive work on Seven Fellas, one which will be puzzled over and studied and followed forever. Yeah. yeah. Hopefully not yes. just a fucking T-shirt, which will probably will have yeah. available again soon. Yeah. <laughs> At best. <laughs> At best. We thanks, everybody, for tuning in. We hope everybody enjoyed it. Thank you, everybody. Until the next time. Yeah. Cheers, guys. Yes, thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So what do you think for the next one, fellas? Zodiac? <laughs> <laughs> Every time. What do you think of the next one, fellas? Zodiac? Yeah. <laughs> what do you fancy? Any ideas? Uh, I don't know. Maybe. Hang on for a second. This is not even my desk. <laughs>